We are continuing our sermon series through the Beatitudes. Next week, Pastor Andrea will conclude this sermon series. Some of you may recognize that there has actually only been six sermons, but there are seven Beatitudes. If you forget that at the very first uh, sermon in this series, we did both the first and the sixth Beatitude of Revelation as they are connected. So next week, Pastor Andrea will cover the seventh, but today I am covering the fifth beatitude, which is found in your Bibles in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6. And it reads in this way, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. I must acknowledge that as I looked at Revelation chapter 20 and I looked at this beatitude within Revelation chapter 20, I found that it was giving more challenges than any of the previous sermons had done. I wrote my sermon on Tuesday, and some of you have been preachers, you've maybe been in this position before. I wrote my sermon on Tuesday, it was done, but as the week went along, I got more and more uh, disappointed with it. Maybe that's not something you should admit before you preach a sermon, because I don't want you to be disappointed in it. But, but as, I, as I went along, I was trying to figure out how to bring out all these nuances or how to tie all these things together. And then the Lord, as the Lord does, as we're praying through various things and uh, ver- praying through the sermon, uh, the Lord brings a level of, of clarity and insight and I was trying to say, what is the main point of Revelation 20? And what is the main uh, theme that I want to get across? And before I, I, I get to that, I want to help you understand that we are going to be looking at three resurrections uh, this morning. Three uh, moments in time when, 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 that impact humanity through the resurrection. The first resurrection that we should understand that directly impacts humanity and the most important resurrection is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul wrote this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, for I deliver to you, and listen to what he says, as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul is talking here to the church in Corinth and he's saying, this is of first importance to the gospel, that Christ died for you, that he was buried, but also that he was raised from the dead. And in fact, skipping down in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes in verses 13 and 14, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ himself has been raised. And if Christ has been ra- not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And even worse than that, if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is in vain. The most important resurrection to all humanity is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the one, it is the resurrection that that gives us hope that one day, too, we can overcome the grave. That one day, too, the the resurrection of ourselves would be possible because of Christ's resurrection. The next resurrection that I want to mention is the resurrection that I hope every single one of us will be a part of. The resurrection of, of life. This is the one that is referred to in our beatitude for today. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. 
Jesus also referred to this in John chapter 5 and verse 29. He referred to this as the resurrection of life or the resurrection unto life. Just that title right there gives us an indication that this is the event that we want to be a part of. We want to be a part of this experience. It's, it's the resurrection unto life, not just temporal life, but life eternal, life forever with Jesus, life in, in joy and peace and harmony and, and love. This is the resurrection that is described most fully in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you've been to a Christian's uh, funeral, you have probably heard this text before. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, start, it says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, again, the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Verse 15, for this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Will rise first. This is the resurrection unto life that Jesus speaks of in John chapter 5 and verse 29. And my prayer, as I said, is that, is that each one of us are a part of this event. But there is only one way to be a part of this resurrection. And that is to accept Jesus as your Savior, to believe that, that, that he died for you, that, that he lived the perfect life for you, and that he was raised to life again, and that he is coming back to, to get you, to get me, to take us to be with him. We can understand this maybe conceptually, maybe we don't even understand it conceptually, but we can maybe believe it at a mental level, but, but if it's not truly the belief of our hearts and our minds, then, then, then we have no part in this first resurrection. In fact, in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, the Bible says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a significance here to, to believing and, and embracing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We, we declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. There's a lot of people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in God. But, but it goes beyond just the declaration of our mouths to something that's internal, that's, that's a part of us. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You will be saved. If we understand this, then we can understand, really, Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, as I read it, seems very complex and difficult. But if we understand this simple premise, that if we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. In other words, you will be part of the blessed of the first resurrection. And I realized it was this simple just last night. Trying to, how do I talk about Revelation chapter 20? I mean, there's these moving parts and these different entities and there's some weird verses and I'll get to that in a minute. And, and some weird verse breaks, verse five, if you know what I'm talking about, I'll show you that in a minute too. How do, how do I say all this and, and, and what should I, how should I really tie this together? And last night, it hit me. Through the mouth of babes. We were sitting at the dinner table. 
and my son, one of my son asked me, uh, what are you going to preach on tomorrow, Dad? I said, well, I'm going to preach about the resurrections and the, uh, the two resurrections and the millennium. And, you know, my brain's going on about it, and I'm not really focusing. And my youngest son, Levi, says, What's, what is that? And so my older two sons begin to explain to him. They said, when Jesus comes back, he's going to take the good people to heaven, and we should probably qualify that word good, you know, to, good only by the grace and the covering of Jesus Christ, but you know they're, they're working on it. Uh, but they're going to take the good people together, and then there's going to be this thousand years where Satan's just going to be by himself on this earth, and he's not going to do anything. And then at the end of those thousand years, there's going to be the bad people are going to be raised up, and then they're all going to be destroyed. And so you want to be a part of the first resurrection. That's my son's explanation of Revelation chapter 20, and I think it's accurate. We want to be a part of the first resurrection. Then there's a thousand years and another resurrection, and those people are going to be lost. Very simple. And I realize this is, this, is, this is what Revelation chapter 20 is about. It's about this event in time. But we, we somewhat complicate it, and we make it maybe about all the theology, but we don't realize that, that this beatitude in there can serve very much as a, as, a, as a statement of assurance. Blessed are those who are part of the first resurrection, for the second death has no power over them. But if there's that first resurrection, that resurrection unto life, then we must acknowledge that there is also another resurrection, which I just mentioned and which my sons mentioned, that contrasts the first one. Jesus calls this, one, this resurrection, this event, in chapter 5 and verse 29, in my English Standard Version, he, he refers to it as the resurrection of judgment. Some verses, like the New King James Version, translate this verse, the resurrection of condemnation. The New International Version, which is the Bible and the Purex in front of you, states it this way, very plainly, the evil will rise to be condemned. There's a resurrection, and it's, it's a resurrection unto life, life eternal with God. And then there's a resurrection that is, the fate is already sealed unto death, guilty. That's my son's explanation, Dayton and Landon. Levi, this is what it is. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to take all the good people with him. Then there's a thousand years where Satan is wandering in the earth by himself. And then afterwards, all the wicked people are going to be raised up. And, and they're going to die. And then we're going to be in heaven and with Jesus on the new, new earth forever. And that could be the end of Revelation chapter 20, the story right there. But I'll go a little bit further just so you don't accuse me of not giving you your money's worth. But that brings us back to the book of Revelation and Revelation chapter 19. And if you were here last week, you heard us talk about the beginning of Revelation chapter 19, and we talked about the, uh, the wedding supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and the reunion that will take place between God's people and, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we'll finally be together. And we talked about how, how in heaven they sing out hallelujah because there's this reunion that is going to take place. And then on earth, the, the saved sing out hallelujah because there's this reunion that is going to take place with our Savior. And it's this glorious event. And this is really the description of, of Jesus taking his people to heaven prior to that thousand years. But then the second part of Revelation chapter 19 talks about the beast and the false prophet being destroyed in the lake of fire and the wicked of the world dying, but the death that they are dying is just the death 
the first death, to await the final judgment. And there's this, 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 this event that takes place. So there's, there's the people in heaven, the righteous people in heaven with God, and then there's the wicked that are dead, and the beast and the false prophet are dead. But what about Satan? Where is Satan? Revelation chapter 20 answers that question in verses 1 and 2. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Where is Satan bound? Satan is bound here on this earth. And the picture that is painted is, a, is, a, is the earth desolate and void, just like it was before creation. Remember, we just come through all the plagues. And then in chapter 19, the righteous are taken up to heaven for the great wedding supper with the Lamb of God, our Savior. And the wicked are destroyed, and the false prophet and the beast are destroyed. But Satan is left here on a, on a pale and, a, and, a, and an empty earth. And the Bible describes him having chains on his hand. And this is symbolic that he'll have no power to tempt anyone during these thousand years. But then Revelation 20 shifts gears. Revelation chapter 20 shifts gears to what is happening with those that believed in Jesus. What is happening with those who chose to follow Jesus and are now living in heaven. And the Bible tells us, Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those whom he gave authority to judge what or to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is a judgment scene. The wicked are dead. Satan is roaming the earth by himself. The righteous are in heaven. And what are the righteous doing? They are not being judged, the Bible tells us. They are actually being judges. They're actually being judges. Some people are so worried about, but, about being judged, but the Bible tells us that, that, that at the second coming, the righteous will go to heaven, and they not only are not the ones judged them, but they the ones that become the judges. But what are they judging? Listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. Now, Paul is addressing the church in Corinth who's having some issues within their, their church, they're having some challenges within their church uh, on, on, on uh, to confronting sin. And there seems to be an unwillingness in their church to, to confront sin. They have, seem to have the modern uh, epidemic that we have in the 21st century. Hey, it's not my place to judge what they're doing. I'm not going to say anything. This is something we do in our modern age. We, we have this same, same challenge, and, which is a very unbiblical position, by the way. But they say to Paul, you know, what are we supposed to do about this sin that's in our midst? And Paul basically asks them, are you kidding me? And then he says to them in verse 2, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world, speaking of future tense, and if the world is to be judged by you, are you, not, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Verse 3, do you know, not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? Paul here references future times of judgment when, when the saints, in other words, the believers who, who reign with, with, with Christ for all eternity will judge the things of this world, the actions of this world, and even those of heavenly beings. Paul is speaking of what we see in Revelation chapter 20. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, that they will be given authority to judge. Well, what will they be judging exactly and why? Well, what I believe 
is that they will be judging to see that God is fair, that God has been fair and just in all of his judgments. In other words, if someone's in heaven and they're wondering, why is that person in heaven? They'll be able to see and understand that God was fair and just in allowing that person to be a part of heaven. And if someone's not in heaven and they're wondering, why is that person not in heaven? They'll be able to see that God was fair and just and why that person is not in heaven. God's willing to put himself on trial so that never again will, he, will anyone be able to accuse God as Satan did that he is unfair. Think about it. That is the very first accusation that we read about between humanity and Satan in the Bible, all the way back at the very beginning in Genesis, right? Uh, Satan comes in the form of a serpent to Eve, and, and he's interacting with Eve, and, and he says to Eve, you should, you should eat of this fruit. And Eve says, no, we're not supposed to do this. And what has Satan said to him? God only doesn't want you to do this because he doesn't want you to be as smart as him. He doesn't want you to have as much understanding as him. In other words, he's not being fair. He's not being fair. And so now we get to see at the end of Revelation, God's not just saying, okay, I'm wrapping this all up with a tidy bow. I'm going to let you, humanity, those who are in heaven, see that I am a fair and a just God. You're going to see that the, 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 the destruction and the, and the trauma and the suffering that you went through in this world is not because I was an unfair God, but because Satan is an unfair master. You're going to see that, 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 the, that the trials and the tribulations and, and the pain that you felt in your life and that you went through is not because I chose that for you, but because you chose that for yourself. You'll see that I am a fair God. Then we come to the difficult verse in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 5. And it reads this way. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. And this isn't the difficult part. But immediately after that, it says this is the first resurrection. And some people have become confused about this because they said, well, I thought the first resurrection was the righteous, but now it sounds like the first resurrection is the resurrection of the rest of the dead. Well, verse 5 should be actually split into two different verses. And the very first part of verse 5 is what we call a parenthetical statement. And if there were some of you that are, are not grammar, uh, uh, astute at grammar like I am, like I'm not, see, like I can't even speak right now, um, then let me explain what a parenthetical statement is. And I'm not explaining this because I know it. I'm explaining this because I went to the Google machine and looked it up when I was doing my, my sermon. And so I was, I was looking up on Google, parenthetical statement, and a parenthetical statement is a statement that explains or qualifies something. And so in the midst of Revelation, there is this qualifier. John has written about where Satan is bound on earth. He, he's written in chapter 19 that, that, that the people of God are reunited with, with Jesus. He's written in chapter 19 about the, the destruction of the false prophet, the destruction of the beast, and the death of the wicked. And now in chapter 20, he's talking about Satan being bound for a thousand years, and he's talking about uh, uh, the righteous in heaven and what they are doing. And then almost as if to just pause and say, oh, wait, but I forgot about one group. Let me tell you real quick about the wicked dead. It's like he's talking and all of a sudden he goes, oh, wait, wait, I forgot something, I forgot something. By the way, we're not done with the wicked dead yet. We're still going to come back to them. And after a thousand years, they will be raised. 
And then the Bible says this is the first resurrection. That second portion of verse 5 actually is referring to verse 4 and the people in verse 4 just before that. This is important to understand because there's confusion out there on this idea of the millennium and what resurrection is which. Now, why do we have this challenge? Well, we have this challenge because we have chapters and verses. And just real quick to to share with you about chapters and verses, chapters and verses were not part of the original Bible. John was not writing the book of Revelation and saying, okay, now I want to add chapter 20 here and verse 5 here. John did not do this. We should understand this. John was just writing a letter. John did not say, okay, I know there's going to be a group of people that call themselves the Seventh-day Adventists, and they're going to be really excited about this Revelation chapter 14. And so I want to make sure we put the 14 in there, and we're going to talk about Revelation 12, 13, and 14, and they're going to do this chiastic structure, and so we need to make sure they have the, the three chapters, and they know that that's the center of the book of Revelation. This is not how John was thinking and writing when he was writing the book of Revelation. He was simply writing a letter. And all the Bible was written in this way, without chapters and without verses. Without chapters and without verses. But then in the 1200s, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Stephen Langton, started putting chapters into the Bible. Then several hundred years later, in the 1500s, a guy named Robert Stephanaus, also known as Robert Esteen, started to assert verses in the Bible. And Robert Esteen, he was actually the first one to print a Bible with verses, So while chapters and verses are very useful for reference and and memorization, my son's right now doing the Pathfinder Bible Challenge and he's learning those things. You know, the Pathfinder Bible Challenge, that thing that's not really a competition, but we still try to get more answers right than the other people. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. But those those verses and those chapters are are helpful for, for, for that process. But we should understand this, the numbering system of the Bible, chapters and verses, are not inspired. So I hope I didn't upset anybody there, just so you know. So Revelation chapter 20 and verse 5, there's a parenthetical statement, but the second part of that verse shouldn't confuse us. It's just a pause. Oh, wait, by the way, the rest of the dead, they're not going to come alive till after the thousand years. Okay, now let me get back to what I was talking about. If you've talked to me, you know that's how I talk. In jumps. It's talking about verse 4, the first resurrection. Those to whom the authority to judge was committed, those to whom are blessed. And this is where our beatitude comes in. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power. The beatitude is a word of assurance if we actually believe God's word and have accepted Jesus as our Savior. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's not a hesitancy in that. And I, and I want to say this to us as Seventh-day Adventists who I think sometimes have struggled with this idea of assurance. 
We, we, we say, well, well, I hope I'm saved. I, I think I'm saved. I'd like to be saved. I am pray that I'm saved. We need to trust the word of God and say, by the grace of God, I am saved because his word proclaims it. If I confess with my, my lips that Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no hesitation in that. And I come to this, to this beatitude and it says, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. And I can say with assurance, praise God, I will be a part of that first resurrection. We should have that assurance. But this beatitude also also serves as a warning and an appeal. Because the Bible says, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. In other words, though, if I have not accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, if I have not confessed with my lips that Jesus is Lord and believed in my heart that God raised him from the dead, then the second death does have power over me. And I am not a part of that first resurrection. The beatitude serves as a, as a word of assurance, but also as an appeal, as a reminder that, that we need to accept Jesus as our Savior. In the book of Revelation, chapter 20, in verse 14, the Bible says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name, verse 15, was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown, she was thrown into the lake of fire. That is the second death. That is the second death. If you have the assurance of salvation in your life, the assurance that Jesus lived the perfect life that you could not live, the assurance that Jesus died for you, again, the book of Romans, while you were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If we believe that and accept that truth, and proclaim that truth and, 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 and embrace that truth, not only by words and by thought, but literally within the core of our being, then guess what? You don't even have to worry about the end of Revelation chapter 20. It has nothing to do with you. You're already raised up in chapter 19. But if you have not accepted that truth, then the second death still has potential power over us. It is that simple. Revelation 20 is in many ways that simple. As my son said, Levi, Jesus is going to come back and the good people are going to be raised up. The good that have accepted Jesus Christ and his covering and sacrifice, we know that. And then for a thousand years, Satan is just going to be here. And then the wicked people are going to be raised up. And then they're going to be destroyed. You want to be at the first resurrection. Amen, Dayton. Amen. So folks, today, it is your choice because it still is a choice. Jesus already chose. 
And he chose you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your background, he chose you. All of us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. And Christ died for you. He chose already. But now it's our choice. Do we choose to confess with our lips and to believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead? Today, you can leave with the assurance of salvation based on that truth. Based on that truth. Choose Jesus and be blessed and do not worry about the end of Revelation 20. If we choose against Jesus, then our verdict is already known. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, I want to pray in this moment for those individuals in this room that maybe in their lives have not made that choice for you. Lord, help them to know right now it's not about leaving this place and fixing some things. It's not about understanding every single nuance. But it is truly about the fact that we can have the assurance that we will be part of that great and glorious morning of the resurrection. Simply by accepting you, Jesus, as our Savior. You have done the work. You have made the choice for us. Now, Lord, help each person in this room to make a choice for you. Lord, for those that are in here that have been long in the journey of Adventism, and yet most their life, maybe all their life, they've lacked assurance. Maybe they're still fearful. What if? Lord, help them to trust your word. Help them to trust what you tell us in the book of Romans, that all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. Lord, there is no equivocation in that. You don't hesitate, you don't stutter. So Lord, help us today to call on your name and to live in the assurance that we will be a part of that first resurrection. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen.